Uh, Please open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 8, the 8th Psalm. If you're not used to your Bibles, feel free to open your Bible basically to the middle. And if you're not in the Psalms, uh, just go backwards just a little bit. Psalm chapter 8, the 8th Psalm. My name is Brett Sweet. It's one of my joys and privileges to be a pastor here at GCF where we exist to glorify God through gospel-centered worship evangelism, discipleship, and community. Uh, we are it's two weeks into a series through the first ten psalms. Last week we were in Psalm 1. This week we're on Psalm 8. Uh, we're obviously not going in order. But we're going to go through 1 through 10. And I'm excited to preach from Psalm 8. If you don't see me in the coming weeks, it's because I'm on study leave. Still love being a pastor here. Just you may not see me. Um, before we get started, let me also commend a book that... It's going to be very helpful in understanding one of the, kind of the last half of this sermon, which is called Created in God's Image by Anthony A. Hukama, one of my favorite books. If you've, it's kind of intermediate level, so if you've gone through track one of discipleship, you can get it, understand it well. Um, very encouraging to me, and I'll, I'll touch, just skim the surface of some of what he says. So let me pray, though. Psalm chapter 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Lord, we pray that you would reveal some of that glory this morning. We cannot force you to do it. You must do it freely. So we pray that you would show your glory where we know it is most clear, and that is in the face of Christ. So we ask as we meditate and worship you as we read this text and think about the implications that you would make Jesus clear to us, that we really would be worshiping you even now. Help us, we pray. Remove distractions. Encourage us. And help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Examining creation causes us to worship the Lord of creation. So examining creation causes us to worship the Lord of creation. Popular culture tells us that if we examine natural, uh, the natural world too much, we spend a lot of time looking at astronomy and biology, then it will make no sense for us to be believers in Jesus Christ. Some Christians, therefore, are a little scared, a little timid at studying biology, at looking at the natural world, or looking through a telescope, studying astronomy. But that is not what the Lord of creation tells us. Our Lord, the Lord we worship, He disagrees. The Lord has made us to look around at the natural world, and respond with worship. Our Lord Jesus Christ says, look at the flowers. He says, consider the birds. The author of Proverbs tells us, hey, look at the ant. Look at how the ant lives. Or do you ever think about where lizards live sometimes? You ever notice they live in all sorts of structures, even palaces. And God calls us, often in Scripture, to look at the skies, to look at what's there, to look at the sun, the moon, and the stars. 
And the Lord tells us to do that because the result of doing so won't be atheism, but worship. So if you feel in your heart kind of a little dullness, kind of disinterested in worshiping God, it could be you need to get outside. It could be you need to take your Bible with you and get away from asphalt and metal. When David wrote this psalm, it was the age before electric light, so most of world history. And he could go for a stroll at night with no light pollution and see thousands of stars. By the way, the most stars you can see in a night is in the thousands. You never see millions of stars. Your eyes can't handle it. So thousands of stars. David can see that many. And in Psalm 8, as he does that, his mind is lifted up, not just to the heavens, but beyond heaven. His thinking about these stars is humbling and encouraging. His mind goes beyond what he sees to the Lord of creation himself. And the result is worship. So since that's the result of what David does, that is exactly what the theme of our sermon is. Worship. Worship the Lord of creation. Worship the Lord of creation. That is your task as a Christian. Worship the Lord of creation. When you worship, something happens, Psalm 8 tells us. You will be more humble. You will be more joyful. You will feel more loved. Psalm 8 gives us three reasons to worship the Lord of creation. So those will be what we look at today. Three reasons. Worship the Lord of creation for his great power. That'll be the first thing we look at. His great power. Then another reason. Worship the Lord of creation for his care for us. He cares for us. And that's a reason to worship God. And then the third thing is worship the Lord of creation for where he positions us. The Lord positions us somewhere in a hierarchy. So let's go to the first point. Worship the Lord of creation for his great power. Power. When you look at the heavens, you think about power. The psalm opens with David addressing God for his greatness. If our hearts are healthy, that's what our hearts will do too. We'll examine the, the great power that God has. What sort of power does God have? The first aspect of his power is that he has power greater than the universe. Power greater than the universe. Be above and beyond it. Look at verse 1 with me. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. The Lord of creation is called Lord here two different ways. Look at, if you look down at your text, you'll notice that the first one is all capital letters. O Lord, that's the Hebrew name Yahweh, means a covenant Lord. It means someone that David is in relationship with. He knows this God. He knows him. The second one that has lowercase letters is the word Adonai, which has this emphasis on, on God being a powerful and good and wise governor or Lord, worth following. And notice how powerful this Lord is. This Lord's glory is above the heavens. So you think about the massive sun, which has our massive sun, which heats our earth. 
and you think about it, and you think that it has all, just an, an atomic weapon is nothing compared to the reactions that are happening there. And then you realize that there are stars that literally hundreds, sometimes thousands of our suns can fit inside. And then you realize that there's galaxies of these sorts of reactions, these powers, black holes that swallow light and bend it. Stars being created and destroyed all the time. And the Lord is more powerful than them all. His glory is above the heavens. They're powerful, but His power is greater still. So worship the Lord of creation for His great power. He has power greater than the universe. He also has power greater than enemies. Greater than enemies. Some of you feel like there's enemies out there after you. Well, the Lord has power greater than enemies. Look at verse 2 with me. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Interesting verse, hard to translate. But think about David for a second. David was a warrior. He led people into battle. He fought Goliath, defeated him. And because David was a warrior, you can be sure he saw his friends die, just like some of you have who have served in our military. You've seen enemies be victorious. But here we're told enemies can be stopped. How? By babies, by little babies, infants, still dependent on their mother's milk. There's, this is a challenging verse, but the general theme is this. God is so powerful that if he wanted to create an army of little infants, he could and he would win. He would win because he is powerful. And the, the goo-goos and gagas of little babies are enough to silence the mouths of doubters. Pretty remarkable. That's how powerful God is. He can release his power against any and all enemies and will always be victorious. Use the weakest, tiniest little things to release his power. Justin O. Schmidt studies bugs. He's also the creator of the Schmidt Pain Index. On a scale of one to four, he rates the stings and bites of various insects. That's what he does. He's the expert uh, on a scale of one to four. So in, uh, around us, the, the western paper wasp, which lives around here, you get stung by it, it's a one. Get stung by a yellow jacket, that's a two. Those of you who are afraid of murder hornets, by the way, it's a two. Uh, the, the category three insects that, that sting even worse, that hurt even worse, most of those are foreign wasps. They don't live around here. For a long time, there was only one number four. There was only one of them. It was called the, it's called the bullet ant. It lives in Central and South America. And it's called a bullet ant because when you're stung by it as a stinger, it literally feels like you've been shot. And so Schmidt 
to study these, allows himself to be stung so that he can describe what it's like. Here's how he describes being bit by the bullet ant. Up to 24 hours of pure, intense, brilliant pain. Like walking over flaming charcoal with a three-inch nail embedded in your heel. Now, since in the recent years, he's actually added two more to the category four, to level four. Uh, the, the tarantula hop, hawk and the warrior wasp. The warrior wasp, this is how he describes being stung by this. Two hours of torture. You are chained in the flow of an active volcano. He ends with this. Why did I start this list? <laughs> God's power is so great, he can use tiny little things and paralyze human beings much larger. God's power is so great, if he wants, he can release his power through the foolish talk of Christians. When, when people share the gospel and people say, that is so foolish. And then they do it one time and all of a sudden people go, whoa, this changes my life. That's how powerful. If he wants, he can use infants in an army and they would be undefeated him. So worship him for his great power. All the atomic weapons in the world, if they were pointed at God, do you know what it would feel like maybe? Like the breath of a butterfly. I'm not going to touch him. It's his great power. He rules from a throne. The Lord of creation spoke. He spoke and everything came into existence. Worship the Lord of creation for his great power. You will never meet anybody who has the sort of power he does. That's one reason to worship the Lord of creation. Let's look at another reason to worship the Lord of creation. Worship the Lord of creation for his care for us. Worship the Lord for his care for us. If we, when we think about the great power of the Lord of creation, we're forced to wonder if he would even care. Would he even care? So let's look as we examine how he cares for us, at the Lord who shouldn't care for us. The Lord who should not care for us. We have no business demanding it. Look at verse 3 with me. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. God doesn't have a body. Well, Jesus does. We'll talk about that soon. But God is spirit, so the Bible is using human language to help us understand. But what he wants us to get across is, when you think about all those galaxies, think about how fast you have to move at light speed just to get to another place. All of that mass, all that power, is not the work of God's legs. It's not the work of his arms. It's not the work of his hands. It's the work of his fingers. His fingers. Remarkable. This is the Lord we're talking about. That, the, that this massive universe is merely the work of his fingers. He shouldn't care about us. If that's the case, why would he care about us? But could he? So then let's notice the shock 
that the Lord cares for us. This should be shocking to you. There's a shock that the Lord cares for us. Do you ever think that way? Are you ever shocked by this? Look at verse 4 with me. Thinking about the work of that the, he's made, the heavens and the stars and moon. What is man? Verse 4 says, What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? It seems impossible, doesn't it? That a God whose power is greater than the universe would care for puny little people like us at all. The word for man there is the word enosh, enosh, which has this idea of humanity, so men and women, in all their frailty and weakness, weak little things. Now see, so it's emphasizing that. What is man, this weak human being? I would be shocked if you cared for the worm that's under the grass in your front yard. I would be shocked if you cared for the flea that's on a fox somewhere in the Midwest. I would be shocked if you cared about the beetle that's crawling on a log somewhere in the forest. But what's more remarkable is the distance between God and us because he's infinite and we're finite is even greater and he cares for us. That should be shocking. If he can create the universe with his fingers, how incredibly shocking is it that he cares for us? Now we're told by many that in light of this massive, cruel, cold vacuum of space, there is no way anyone like a God over that could possibly care for us. There's no way. They, they think back to, they, they might read something like this and they'd say, well, you know, ancient people that thought God's cared for them, I don't want to say they were stupid. They were at least uninformed. They didn't really know what was going on. They didn't really think about the scale of things. But Psalm 8 takes that bet and ups the ante. It says, oh, we know the universe is massive. We know that it makes no sense, seemingly. It's shocking that God would care for man. But there's something even greater than the universe. God himself. So you think it's crazy that in this universe, someone might, a human might have importance? I'm saying there's something even greater and bigger than the universe. And he cares for us. So the ancients weren't ignorant. All these objections aren't new. They've been felt by everyone who's ever lived, who's ever looked at the heavens. <clears throat> Sometimes you might feel that way. But the Word of God penetrates past our feelings. The psalmist takes the truths of Genesis 1 and 2 and applies them to himself. He looks at the cold, cruel vacuum of space, reads the Bible, and finds his heart warmed, heated up, ablaze with love. This special revelation, this sacred book comes in, and it has to drill down beneath our feelings. When we feel like we're uh, worthless, unimportant, the Bible has to drill 
beyond that and strike our nerves. Some of us think as we read the Bible, if there's a God who created the universe, he must have more on his mind, bigger, better things on his mind than caring for people. Now, there's a sense in which that's true. But this scripture says that even while God might be thinking of bigger things, perhaps than an individual Christian, person, human being, he does think about them. Some of you need to hear this today. God cares for you. God cares for you. You might think to yourself, I'm just one of seven billion people on the planet fighting this sin in my life. I'm discouraged. I'm depressed. I'm fighting addictions. I'm lonely. I have no one to talk to. Nobody cares. Nobody. Well, God wants you to hear something this morning. God is mindful of you. God cares for you. Don't take my word for it. God himself and the Holy Spirit wrote this. He tells us that the Lord cares for you. This is worth celebrating. This is worth worshiping the Lord of creation for. He cares for you. Now, this also means that Christians who are more and more conformed to the image of Christ as God changes us, should be committed to caring for others. You should commit to caring for people. It's really easy to say, I really care for that person. How often do you see them? Once a year. How often do you talk to them? Eh, once every two years. We usually just wave when we see each other. You should see this as this text as a call to reflect God by joining a local church where you commit to caring for people over the course of years or decades when it's hard. You, you should feel called to imitate God and care for those in society who are most neglected, rejected, the unborn, the elderly, the poor, the weird, the smelly, don't neglect them because they're homeless or hostile or weird. God is mindful of them. Even your enemies, God is mindful of them. So as Christians, you should love them and care for them. This is more, and when you do, that's going to be more proof that God is real. So worship the Lord for his care for us. Worship the Lord for his great power. Worship the Lord of creation for his care for us. And then Let's notice last, worship the Lord for where he positions us. Worship the Lord for where he positions us. The Lord has positioned humanity as his unique image bearers in a very unique position. Place nobody, no other uh, organism or entity has. But notice first that he positions us, the Lord positions us lower than himself. He positions us lower than himself. Some of you need to hear that. You are not God. The Lord positions us lower than himself. Look at verse 5 with me. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. And have crowned him with honor. 
You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. That, he, that Hebrew word for heavenly beings is the word Elohim. It's elsewhere translated God often. It, depending on the context, the question is, is, how do we translate this? Many people think you should translate it as God, regardless if the ESV experts, and they are experts and worth being trusted, say heavenly beings, angels. We do know that if we're for a little while lower than the angels, we must be lower than God. So we should humble ourselves here. You are not God. I am not God. Humble yourself before God. He positions us lower than himself. God is the ultimate ruler. He's the ultimate king. But also rejoice that you are not in his position. You don't have to know everything. God does. You don't have to judge everyone. God will. You don't have to save anyone. God saves people. That's not your position. Worship the Lord for the simple fact that he's positioned you lower than himself. You're free. Your kids don't worry about a lot of the things you're responsible for. You're free for the same reason. You're not responsible for everything God does. The Lord positions us lower than himself. So if the Lord positions us lower than himself, where else does he position us? The Lord positions us higher than other creatures. The Lord positions us higher than other creatures. So we're below God, but we're higher than everything else. Look with me at verses 5 through 8. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion, or rule, over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. God has placed us as rulers, human beings, as rulers over this earth. This is repeating what we, what we hear in Genesis 1.28 when God created Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, he tells them. And have dominion. Over what? The fish of the sea. And over the birds of the heavens. And over every living thing that moves. Now many worldviews, ways of understanding the world and the way things work, reject this. They would say, no, we're not higher than other creatures. So Hindus in the state, Hindu uh, place in India, the state of Gujarat, just recently passed a law. If you kill a cow, you are punishable. That's punishable by up to life in prison. That's about what we usually penalize people for killing a human. So humans are not above cows. They're equals. Humans are just things. Pantheism which is really popular in our culture, this belief that we're all part of this one universe, we all make up a little part of it. And so rocks and trees and flowers and birds and humans, we're all equally part of this universe that is kind of divine. Say so that you don't have any more value than the rock, any more value than the river. You're just a thing. Humans are just things. 
a lot of atheism that's rooted in Darwinism would say, you're not positioned higher than other animals. Yeah, you've got a little, your DNA is basically the same, a little bit different, a little bit smarter maybe. You're basically just an animal. You're not special, you're just, humans are just things. And our culture does that too. Maybe you've been influenced. Humans are just things. Our consumer culture says this. You aren't a human being. You're just buying power. You're just a walking wallet to make decisions. You're just a thing. Or you're not really a human being. You're not valuable. You're just a thing. You're just a body to be used for, your sec- for my sexual pleasure. I'll just take advantage of you however I want. You're just a thing. You're a replaceable cog in this corporate machine. If you get, if you get fired or die on the job, we'll just bring somebody else to take your spot. You aren't a person, you're just a thing. Maybe that's why that sort of thinking for a long time meant people would laugh at this idea. The human beings are meant to be rulers, positioned higher than other things, that humans are responsible for creation. But what's really interesting now is if you keep your ears open, all these species are dying in the Everglades. You want to know why? Snakes. You know where these snakes came from? People. Releasing Burmese pythons into the Everglades. Killing raccoons. Who's to blame? People. We're told... You know, it seems like maybe the earth is heating up, causing fires, maybe even causing hurricanes. And you know who might be partly to blame for that? Humans. Unless humans act, disaster is coming. We need to use a role of responsibility. If you're a Christian... None of that should surprise you. God actually said, humans, you're called to rule this world. Take care of it. The way you rule will impact other things. The Lord, though, positions us higher than other creatures. We're called to be rulers. So where, where everything else tells us, oh, humans are just things, Psalm 8 says, no, humans aren't things. They're kings. They're called to rule. And that's a reason worth worshiping the Lord. And we know deep down that's true. We have this profound sense that we're responsible for things. We feel it. We know that God is glorified when we do remarkable things with architecture, engineering, or art, or music, or parenting, or logging, or mining. All of those things done well Glorify God. It's like they're meant to be done that way. And God is pleased. But intuitively, we also know we've made a mess of things too. We know that humans are to blame for the problems in this world. Here's why sin is so horrible. God has taken human beings and he's placed a crown on their heads. So humans take this crown given by God's grace as human beings. We take the crown and we melt it 
and we make it into a spear. And we use our capacity to rule, to abuse creation, to abuse other people who are intruding on where we want to rule. And we use it on God himself. And we don't stop till he's dead. Since we weren't worshiping God, we've moved ourselves to the wrong position. We've elevated ourselves above God. So is everything lost? Is the universe forever destroyed? Is earth forever gone? Is evil always going to reign? Is that it? Well, we're not the first person to talk about Psalm 8. The author of Hebrews did. And listen to how he applies these verses in Psalm 8. See if these first couple verses sound familiar. This is from Hebrews 2. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Boy, that sounds familiar. Then the author of Hebrews says this. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely, who is this guy? Jesus. Crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus, truly God, humbled himself. Positioned himself where man is meant to be. Because he's truly man submitted himself perfectly to God's rule and law, ruled creation, every aspect of his life perfectly, used resources responsibly, loved his neighbor perfectly, obeyed God without one single sin. And notice that not only was Jesus crowned by being made in God's image, he was crowned for some other reason, for his death. The suffering of death, we're told. So how can I say that we would take a spear and use it on God? Because we did. When Jesus was crucified, he was also speared by a Roman. We hate God. We want him dead. We want to rule. But we're told here that Jesus' death did something else. He tasted death for everyone. He tasted it. He tasted it because what we deserve is to die. And then he defeated it. And he rose again. And that's what the author of Hebrews is talking about. Jesus has risen again. He's going to rule. He's starting to rule right now. And in, in the future, in the age to come, when they create a new heavens and a new earth, heaven, which you can go back and listen to my sermon from a couple weeks ago. Jesus is going to rule as a human being, but still fully God, perfectly. The whole universe functioning the way it's supposed to. And human beings, we are told, will rule with him. But the book of Hebrews tells us something else. That privilege only applies to those who trust in Jesus. Only to them. You have to submit yourself 
today to worship Jesus Christ. You have to submit to him and worship him. You have to let him be your ruler and your king so that you can rule beneath him as a sort of governor, vice regent. Submit to him today. And then the blessing comes, you're put into a position of responsibility. You get to care for others. Jesus tasted the death you deserve so that you can live. That's good news. That's the gospel. Don't wait. Don't put it off. If you don't, there are consequences. And they're not good. You'll be one of those that are elsewhere talked about being crushed underfoot. When you turn to Christ, you'll begin to recognize where God has positioned you. And notice that Psalm 8 rejects two very popular points of view in our culture. Our culture, we're told that we're the master of our own destiny. Psalm 8 says, no, you're not. God rules over everything. He decides what's going to happen. He's the only ruler. You need to submit to him. You are not the master of your own destiny. He must be your master. Another popular view of our culture is that we have no value. But this ch is challenged too. We're told we're just dust. We're going we're gonna to burn up when the sun burns up earth. The, the choices we make don't matter. We're just chemical reactions, triggering instincts, causing us to be powerless over what we really want to do. But this says no. Actually, God cares for you. You do have value. And he's given you a role where you're actually responsible for your actions. And what you do actually makes a difference. Cares for us and has given us a valuable role in caring for creation. Caring for others. Loving our enemies. It's a really remarkable thing. To know your place in the world. And how do we get there? We get there by worshiping. We get there by worshiping. When we worship the Lord of creation, we recognize God is far bigger and better and above us. So we're humbled. We're humble people. We don't think we're so important. Well, you do that by worshiping the Lord. And when you worship him, you also start to think about what he's done. And you think, he's made me as his image bearer. I have value. He cares for me. He sent his son Jesus to come and die for me. So as you worship him, God places you in a very cool position beneath him and over the rest of creation. That's why we want to worship the Lord of creation. That's why we'll close by reading verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this text. Thank you for the way you care for us. Thank you that you are ruling creation and we confess that we, as your representatives, have ruled poorly, even in our own lives. Lord, thank you for giving us meaning and value. We pray, God, that we would submit to Jesus who's going to bring all things under subjection to him in the age to come. We pray that we would turn to you today and trust in you so that we're ruling with you and not being rejected, abused, and so forth as we deserve. We pray we would be more and more shocked that you care for us.
with the, the main shock being that you, who would be willing to be killed by us, would do so because you love us and defeat the death we deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.